All right, so it's on Saturday Hoops Pod. My name is Mike McDaniel. I'm joined by Ed Williams. Ed, what's going on, man? How much, man? How are you? Been- Hanging in there. Uh, since we last talked, the Hokies played VMI in a more tightly contested game than we expected and then got blown off the floor by Penn State at home in the ACC Big Ten Challenge on Tuesday night. So this is a different sounding and looking podcast for us since the last time we spoke. Obviously, a little bit more data now on this basketball team than we had the last time uh, we recorded about a week and a half ago when tech was three and zero, feeling real good about themselves coming off of a Villanova win and then a blowout win over USF. But we expected tech to have a relatively tough stretch coming up. Um, but we had talked about it in the context of the Penn state game leading that off. We didn't necessarily think that tech would struggle against VMI, but alas, they did. That was a, tough game uh basically start to finish uh especially like the i would say like the first eight or nine minutes of the second half was a little bit unsettling if you were a Hokies fan yeah i'm looking at the uh the win probability graph on espn from that game and there was actually a brief period of time there for probably about you know five ten minutes where vmi was actually the more probable team to win that game um been some very uncharacteristic Mike Young traits in these in the team the last two games. Uh, high turnover rate, um, eleven turnovers against VMI, and we'll get into Penn State in a second. But that game against VMI is not a game you expect Virginia Tech to lose the turnover battle in. Um, you know, we shot relatively decent from the field against VMI, thirty five percent. It's not great, not terrible, but from three, fourteen point eight percent from a team that, you know relies pretty heavily on the three ball. It has a lot of really good shooters is super uncharacteristic and, um, you know, unsustainable, unsustainably bad, uh, you would think, but yeah, that VMI game was a lot closer than Virginia tech fans would have liked it to be. Um, you know, followed up with Penn state last night. That was just brutal from the jump. Um, it came out and punched us in the face. I think it was 17 to three at the first time out. And the, those three points were on a BD step back corner three, not something you want. Um, not a shot you want too often. So, yeah, last night was really bad. VMI was, you know, a microcosm, probably more of what the Penn State game ended up being. Saw a little bit of the same traits, but a little bit different. Um, you know, defenses that VMI threw and Penn State threw were slightly different, but kind of a similar concept. So, yeah, it's been it's been interesting. There's a lot of adjusting and a lot to talk about here. Yeah, so in the VMI game specifically, uh, Virginia Tech was the uh, 16th ranked team in the country in the VMI game. Uh, Tech wins that game last week, 64 to 57. And like you mentioned, there were a few moments there in the second half where Virginia Tech went, I I think it was like a four and a half minute stretch without a bucket. And VMI actually jumped out to a lead. And it seemed like the Hokies were on the ropes a little bit. Uh, Naheem Aline, and this has now been a trend now for a couple games, uh, which we'll talk about with the Penn State game too. Naheem Aline did not shoot the ball well. He was two of 10 from the floor. Tyrese Radford in the VMI game three of 10 from the floor, but he was six of seven from the free throw line, which made his stat line look a little bit better than it was. But I think the main theme in the VMI game was it was a Justin Mutz dunk uh, with about seven minutes to go. And that sparked a run for the Hokies to close things out. Virginia Tech comes back. They take the lead. They were trailing, I think, by four at the time, uh, by six at the time. They had the dunk to cut to four. And then they went on a bit of a run after that. 
And that was led by veterans, right? Tyrese Radford was huge on the glass there late. Wabisa Beattie was very good, probably the best stretch of his career there. The last five or six minutes of that VMI game, he uh, really ran the floor well. Um, he was finding open guys, and he was huge there down the stretch. And Keve Aluma had 17 points, 12 rebounds, and was gigantic in the second half. So the veterans pulled through for the Hokies in that game against VMI. But my big takeaway from this game, Ed, was the fact that Tech did not handle pressure well in this basketball game. Um, VMI defensively had that extended matchup zone. We talked about it before we hit record. It gave the Hokies fits. It was a lot of swing it around the perimeter to get contested jump shot. And you and I were texting throughout that game. And the one thing that you mentioned, and I'll let you kind of talk about this in detail here in a second, is that Virginia Tech didn't really have a guy flashing through the middle of that matchup zone defense that they were playing and, like, come to the top top of the key or to elbow extended. You know, Tech didn't flash Keve Aluma as much, didn't flash Justin Mutz as much. And so Tech, as a result, they were just kind of swinging around the perimeter and then just taking contested shots. It really was not working for them there throughout much of that game. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting approach to breaking the zone. Um you know, I, I've always been a fan of kind of, I mean, I don't know, this isn't really the Buzz Williams way, but it's the way he did it. And a lot of his teams would do it, um, you know, face the team of the zone. Uh, for a while there, it'd be Chris Clark or Justin Bibbs. And then towards the, you know, the end of the Sweet 16 team, Nikhil would usually operate in that middle free throw spot. So you're banging it around the outside as much as you can. And then, you know, J-Rob or whoever would be looking for that entry pass into the, um, into the free throw line area. And then that kind of triggers everything from there, you know. Uh, the two guys in the wing drop into the corners for open looks. You know, that guy is the trigger man uh, who has to make the read and make the play to beat the zone. And we didn't really have that against BMI. Um, we had no real presence inside other than dumping it into a Luma, um, you know, to kind of ISO or go one on two on the block. And um, there was not much. The term is paint touches. That's a term Buzz used to use all the time. Um, and it's, you know, widely used across basketball. It's not specific to him, but. We didn't get the ball in the middle very well at all. And we have guys who can do that. Um, I think Tyrese Radford would be good in that role. I think Mutz could be good in that role. Um, you know, someone flashing from, you know, across the paint in the middle of the defense to try to suck the defense in to kick it back out to uh, the Nahima Leans and, you know, the Hunter Couture's who you touched on a little bit have been very, very underwhelming on the last two games out of those two guys. I know Hunter didn't play much last night. He had strep throat. Um, but against VMI, you know, three points. These are guys we expected a lot more from in their second year in college basketball. So, yeah, VMI was rough. Um, you talked about it. You know, the veterans took over late. Uh, they stopped selling for threes because clearly four of 27, it wasn't going to happen that way that night. Right. Um, but we played VMI even in the second half, you know, 34-34 in the second half. That's just – that's not a recipe for success heading into ACC play if you can't beat a team like that in two halves. Um so there was a lot of adjusting, and Penn State basically just built off of the VMI blueprint and accentuated it with their, you know, length and speed and athleticism that you'd expect from a Power 5 team. Um, in total, actually, the turnover numbers were similar. Tech had 11 turnovers against VMI, and I believe the number is 14 against Penn State, but nine of those, I think, maybe even 10, were in the first half yep. uh, where, where everything's fired out of control. So the first half against Penn State, the game was lost right there, so. 
Yeah, so I, I want to get into the Penn State game here. We can do that now because I think a large part of this podcast tonight is going to be based on themes that we've seen now over the last couple of games compared to what we saw in the first three games of the year when we recorded our first couple of podcasts and kind of what adjustments we think the Hokies need to make, whether it's starting lineup or schematically uh, to improve moving forward because Tech's got a huge game with Clemson next week and when looking at Clemson and what they just did to Maryland tonight as we're sitting here recording on Wednesday evening uh, Clemson's damn good they're going to be ranked and Virginia Tech is going to have to adjust and play a lot better if they expect to win that game next week but the Penn State game so Tuesday night Virginia Tech loses to Penn State by a final score of 75 to 55 the game was not that close um, Tech closed and in garbage time to essentially make it look a lot prettier than it was. Hokies were never competitive in this game. Uh, a couple takeaways here off the top. Number one, the turnovers you mentioned, huge issue. Um, I, I believe Tech had nine first half turnovers. It was either nine or 10 at nine or 10 first half turnovers. Really, really poor start there. Hokies were one of seven from the free throw line at the half. Uh, Tech, like you mentioned earlier, Tech fell behind quickly in this basketball game. Penn State went on a Virginia Tech scored the first points of the game. Then Penn State went on 17 to nothing run uh, to take a 14 point lead at the first timeout. What was interesting here, and what I want to point out, because we can kick this around from Mike Young's standpoint, is that the first media timeout didn't come until there was a little bit more than 13 minutes to go in the first half. So usually, um, as you, as most of you know, or if not all of you know, in college basketball, you have a media timeout every four minutes. So there's an under 16, under 12, under eight, and then a four right under four minutes, and that's halftime. Well, the under 16 timeout didn't really come because the, the, the guys were getting up and down the floor. There was no dead ball. Um, you didn't have a situation where uh, this you know clock was going to be stopped and Virginia Tech could stop the bleeding unless they called a timeout of their own. Mike Young kind of let this play out a little bit. Virginia Tech was not very good in the first four minutes and certainly was not very good in the following three minutes prior to the timeout taking place. Mike Young eventually calls a timeout with a little over 13 minutes to go in the first half. Uh, Tech had four turnovers. They had one made field goal, that BD step back three. That was kind of a miracle that that went in considering, you know, what BD is as a three-point shooter at this point and the Hokies were not in a good spot, I think Mike Young, looking back on it, probably would have liked to have called that timeout a little bit earlier. With that being said, he was probably thinking a dead ball was going to come sooner than it did um, right after the 13-minute mark, having that be your first stoppage of the game. Yeah, and I mean, there's different philosophies to that. I understand, like, coaches think of it differently. It all just, I mean, in reality, it really all did just happen so fast. Um, Penn State came out firing on all cylinders, both ends of the floor, just punched us right in the mouth. And yeah, even if there had been a dead ball though, I don't know that it would have solved the issue. Right. Uh, they needed to, you know, huddle up and have a conversation there because it, it, it all happened so fast and the game was essentially over by the first media timeout. I mean, they were in such a hole that it was, it was pretty much uh, not going to happen at that point. Uh, Cause if you look at the rest of the game, I mean, we lost the second half by one, which is a, kind of more what you'd expect from the game like that against, you know, a good power five team um, that has shown the ability to play with other, you know, good teams across the country already in this early season. So you'd expect a closer game. I didn't expect a blowout on either end. Um, but yeah, that first, you know, eight minutes was, was pretty tough. And I would have liked to see a timeout used there, you know, once it started to look like, okay, we really have no idea what we're doing offensively. Um, 
the turnovers were just unbelievable. But, you know, as I'm going back and I'm clicking through all the box scores of all the games so far this year, that turnover number against Penn State is actually right in line with all the other games we played, 14. Um, so it just shows you that the second half, this team played so much better. And it really is impossible to win a game when you're playing against a team that's shooting 50% from the floor and 52% from three. Um, Penn State, props to them, played amazing. We didn't help with our 14 turnovers to their only five, which is also not um, something you'd expect from any basketball team on any level to only have five turnovers, zero in the first half, I believe. So Penn State played a pretty much flawless basketball game last night. Um, I think there were things we could have done differently that would have, you know, slowed them down or, you know, made them think twice on offense, but we never really threw any new wrinkles at them on the, uh, from Virginia Tech defensive standpoint, which was a little frustrating, uh, but they were just throwing everything in. Everything they put up, they were throwing in. Brockington for Penn State, unbelievable. 10 of 14 from the floor, 24 points. At one point, he was like 8 of 9. I mean, it was just – there's nothing you could do to guard that Held guy. Up. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're lead, Penn State's leading scorer had zero last night. Um, so <laughs> that just shows you the kind of night it was for them. They just were scoring. Everyone was scoring. They had two guys come off the bench with double figures. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just one of those games. I mean, there's things you'd like to see differently from Virginia Tech, of course, but it was just one of those games where Penn State wasn't going to miss. So, Mike Young said in the post game last night, he goes, Brockington's a problem. He said, we knew he was a problem. We couldn't stop him. He is a really, really good player. That was not lost on Mike Young last night in the post game. And like you mentioned, he was unreal. I mean, 10 of 14 from the floor. He had eight rebounds, didn't turn the ball over. I mean, he played as close to a perfect game as you can ask for um, out of one of your star point guards. Right. And, and that's what he is. He's a very, very good player. Um, so he killed Virginia tech last night. Uh, this is a pretty funny text exchange between Ed and I nine Oh eight PM. Ed says, we've got to be able to shoot or this is going to be ugly. So that this game tipped off a couple minutes after nine o'clock at nine Oh eight. We're already talking about this getting ugly. Yeah. Um, nine 14 PM. Ed says, well, this is over. I said, what a start. And Ed goes, yes, this is literally over. So it was literally that quick. And when you talk about the Mike Young scenario about, okay, does he call a timeout? Does he not call a timeout to stop the bleeding there? It literally happened that quickly where you turn around and all of a sudden you find yourself down double digits against a team in Penn State that was playing. I mean, forget the offense, right, for a second, because the offense was outstanding. They shot 50% from the floor, 52% from three. They were unreal offensively last night defensively is where Penn state won the game. I mean, it felt like Virginia tech almost didn't even have an open look the entire first half. And when the Hokies did have a uh, open look from three, they missed it. Right. And tech got some open looks early. Penn state kind of clamped down on the defense, even when Virginia tech was missing shots. And then by the time the Hokies started getting some decent looks and having those go in, they're already down 20 points. And, And it just wasn't really a game that felt, like the Hokies could win. It was just kind of like a runaway for Penn State from the start. And then Penn State is so good defensively that if they jump out to that type of lead, you have to do something pretty special to come back, even if it was only a six or seven minute stretch where they jump out to that 14 point lead. That 17 nothing run really was just a microcosm of the entire evening with Penn State's defense, the way they were making shots either open or contested, and the way that Virginia Tech just couldn't get into a rhythm. I mean, you talk about the turnovers and I guess we can kind of get into the common themes over the last few games now. The turnovers have killed Virginia Tech. The Hokies aren't shooting the ball well at all right now um, from three or just in general from the floor. And offensively, I feel like Tech does 
really lack that consistent go-to score. And I think they have guys on the roster that can do it, but you're not seeing the consistent guy who you can give the ball to to just stop a run, right? And I think that was obviously missing last night in the Penn State game. It was missing at times during the VMI game as well. Yeah, and we thought that guy, you know, if you need a bucket, the guy who can go get you one or at least, you know, force a rotation was going to be Cartier Jada. Um, he just hasn't gotten the minutes. I mean, he didn't play against VMI for, due to a missed COVID test. And last night he only played 19 minutes, only shot the ball four times. Um, you know, when he does get the ball and he is going downhill, he's a pretty electric player, but tends to be a little careless at times too. Four turnovers last night. Um, can't have that. The, uh, the starting lineup is something I know we want to talk about a little bit because those guys, while, you know, Mike Young does play a lot of people, the starters don't really matter. You know, who the first five doesn't really matter because a lot of people are playing but it does seem to be that five on the floor together. Most of the time when those guys are in, it's usually all together. Um, and then he rotates, you know, guys off the bench as like a bench unit almost. So the starting lineup of Aluma, Mutz, Aline, Radford, and Beatty, you know, last night, eight, zero, 10, four, seven points per each of those guys. That's not going to win you any games. 29 uh, points with your starters. Yeah. That's not going to win you any games. Uh, sorry. It's just not. And I, I get it. Mutz, Mutz was, really bad yesterday um he was great against Villanova and he was solid in the second half or closing minutes of the VMI game but yesterday was pretty brutal for him uh looked really frustrated out of sorts uh, almost looked like he didn't belong which I know he does because he's proven that so far that he does belong at this level of basketball but yesterday was brutal for him um Nibidi, you know padded his line a little bit towards the end with a couple buckets late he was three of eight from the field or three of six sorry seven points uh, two turnovers, only one assist, not numbers you'd expect from Beattie. Um, Tyrese Radford, four points. Naheem Aline kind of padded his stats a little bit late too, uh, but only 10 points. It's just, and then, you know, Aluma, who's been our best player, only eight points, and most of those were in the second half. Actually, all of them were in the second half. He didn't score in yeah, the first half. So didn't score in the first half, yep. If your leading scorer, who's averaging 18 a game, gets you zero in the first half, yeah, you're probably going to be down 19. Um so that's how the game the game was lost in the first half. Penn State played amazing. We have issues that I think will be addressed this week. I don't think it helps having one game a week type schedule in basketball. Yeah. I think it's so much more of a rhythm game than it is, um, you know, then compared to football where you can do the whole one thing, one game a week and you almost have to in football. But playing one a week where you play against VMI, you don't play very well. Then you have to wait an entire week to kind of right the ship. And he just kind of compounds all the same issues. And I have to wait another week again. Um, I don't think that's ideal. And that'll obviously change as the season hopefully unfolds COVID free. We can play more games on consecutive nights and, you know, throughout the week to kind of get these guys in a groove. Because keep in mind, a lot of these guys are not only young, but all new. Right. Um, all new to this program, all new to Virginia Tech and new to each other. And they need more games on the floor. And it's easy to forget that when they start out three and out and you beat Villanova and, you know, um or four no sorry and you're ranked but in reality like there's a lot of basketball left to be played and um you know the punch in the mouth was coming at some point didn't know it was gonna be to that extreme but props to penn state they played really well they'll probably be a ranked team um early next week as well as the team we're gonna see early next week in clemson on tuesday they're gonna be a ranked team when the Hokies and tigers step on the floor tuesday night yeah, uh, you talk about guys that need to be more consistent. Um, Naheem Aline is five for 18 over his last two games. Yeah, he's so seen. bad. Um, Tyrese Radford is is even worse. I mean, he was three of 10 in the game against VMI. 
um, just one for six from the floor last night. So he's shooting 25% over his last two games, which isn't good either. So this is a, this is a bad recipe here, right? Like this is, these are two guys that you're trying to rely on as starters, as guys who are going to play a lot of minutes to score and produce for you at a high level. And these are two guys who haven't gotten going the last two games. Now, I will say this, Mike Young in the post game last night after the Penn State loss mentioned that, you know, he feels like he has a team that shoots the ball well and they've just had a cold streak. You know, he did mention that the, a lot of these new guys are trying to come together and get into a rhythm which I understand, but that doesn't really account for the poor shooting of Naheem Ali and Tyrese Radford, though, either. Um, these guys need to shoot the ball better. They're guys who have now been in the program a few years um, who really should be able to come together and, and lead the team. Naheem Ali, and I know he's only a sophomore, I acknowledge that, uh, but he's a guy who I think a lot of fans expect a lot out of, a guy on the wing who can hit open shots, and he just hasn't done that over the last two games. Now, I think that'll that'll correct itself. Um, and I know Tyrese Radford is always going to play hard and produce and you've got to keep him on the floor. The, the one guy who we haven't talked about yet, Ed, um, who made his return um, over the last couple of games here. And I thought overall has looked pretty good is Jalen Cohn. Now the shooting numbers weren't great last night, but <laughs> tech was down 17 to three when he came in and Jalen Cohn promptly comes out and hits like four out of his first five shots. Now he did finish four for 12. So it got uglier after that. He had a really bad heat check three um, that stopped a run that Virginia tech was on late in the first half last night that really swung the momentum back in the direction of Penn state. But I think Jalen Cohn overall has looked pretty solid considering the time that he missed with that foot injury in camp. Um, he's looked pretty good overall, I think. Yeah, he has looked solid and I would love to see him um, as our main ball handler more often. Uh, just because he does bring a level of, you know, a scare factor in the opposing team offensively that BD doesn't. Um, you see every time Jalen catches the ball, you know, all eyes are on him and the closeout immediately. And, you know, I felt I felt like he did a really good job yesterday because when he did come in the game, it was usually when BD was not. Right. Um, he was forced to, you know, be that main ball handler. So with, you know, he had played 20 minutes, um, zero turnovers, which you love to see. And, you know, had that, you know, whatever, 11 points, four of 12, not great. Um, yeah, that heat check was not cool, but um, <laughs> it is what it is. I'll, t I'll take the little spark plug off the bench that he is. And, you know, we've become to really enjoy as tech fans, but I'd love to see him play more with, you know, what we consider to be the ones, see if we can get that starting lineup, some more, you know, pop and production. But I also understand the thought process of bringing the scoring in off the bench. So um, he's looked really, really good. And I think, you know, if BD decides not to take his extra year of eligibility and, you know, move on and be done after this season, Jalen Cohn's going to need to be the point guard next year. So right. getting him more reps and getting him more comfortable with the ball in his hands, the ability to not turn it over. I thought he had one great play where he beat his man off the dribble and kicked it out for a nice assist yesterday. Um, I'd love to see more of that out of him because he's a pretty electric player. Um, we've only really seen him be electric in one asset of the game, and that is just shooting and scoring. But I think he could be – Pretty, pretty dynamic player in all ends on the offensive floor. Now, defensively, he brings different challenges, um, kind of similar to Isaiah yes. Thomas in the NBA uh, all those years where, you know, they basically would have to hide him. Um, he could score at will on offense, but at defense, he would give up buckets at will. So um, hopefully he can get better. And in college, that's easier to get away with um, when you have a guy who's not very 
uh, defensive. I don't know if he's not defensive minded, but defensively challenged. It's easier to get away with in college. You can probably find, you know, the weakest link on the other team. But as we get into more and more, you know, the tougher part of the schedule, it's going to be harder and harder to keep him in the game for long stretches of time to fully benefit from that offense that he does provide. Yeah. And I, I want to talk about that a little bit more because I think that's a great point. Right. So he, he brings a lot to the table offensively. He is inherently limited defensively just naturally because of his size. Now I understand why Mike Young has been bringing him off the bench from that standpoint, right? Because not only is he a spark plug offensively, but you don't necessarily have to have him on the floor for long stretches defensively where you lose. It's a net negative, right? For, for the five that's in, I would like to see him on the floor a bit more with Beatty though. And the reason why is because Beatty is obviously uh, an elite perimeter defender. Uh, one of the best in the conference. And I, I think having Beatty out there with Cone, I think like you mentioned, it hides Cone a little bit, right? Beatty is so good on the ball. He takes a little bit of pressure off the rest of the defense around him. And I, I think we've seen some of that with Keve Aluma too, um, covering up for David Gusan when he's been in. Um, so, so we've seen Mike Young kind of shuffle those guys in and out. I'm curious to see what he does moving forward. Because like you mentioned, this, this starting five right now with Aluma, Mutz, Aline, Radford, and Beattie, this five is not producing enough offensively. And we now have the VMI game and the Penn State game as evidence of that. I know Mike Young was shuffling guys around the first three games. And I think there are multiple elements to this, right? I think you brought up a good point with there being a week between games. That's certainly not helping anybody. Tech obviously played its best basketball of the year when they had like three games and five or six nights when they opened against Radford and they finished up on, on that Sunday against South Florida. And we're like, all right, Tech's getting into a little bit of a rhythm. And then they didn't play for a handful of days, right? And then they play VMI, don't look great, have to wait almost a week. Now you play uh, Penn State and get blown out, right? And now you got to wait another week to play Clemson. So that's not helping anybody, right? But I think that the starting five needs to be tweaked a little bit. I think Mike Young's going to figure this out as he goes along too, and these guys will get better as they continue to play together. But, you know, not having Hunter Couture last night hurt, you know, him being out basically since Saturday's practice with strep throat. Um, I guess he went over to shoot around yesterday before the Penn State game, and I guess was lighting it up and shoot around. So Mike Young felt really good about him feeling better, but he hadn't practiced at all. So getting up and down the floor against a really talented team in Penn State wasn't going to be the move after he hadn't really practiced in four days. So I get not really playing him much last night, but I think Couture is likely going to get more minutes and go back to kind of the role that he was in. I think Jalen Cohn is consistently going to get between 20 and 25 minutes a night. But then what does that mean for you know, the rest of the starters. Does this mean that it's a different minutes distribution or does this mean you just tweak the starting lineup? I don't know kind of where they go from here. And I'm not sure I fully have the answer that I'm comfortable with after five games as to what this team is going to be. Yeah. And as we've kind of learned um, and get what we've known, you know, we didn't know at the beginning of the year and we've learned and we've further, you know, solidified this, this team is, slightly less deep than we thought it would be. Um, the most, the highest contributing freshman is David Ngasan. And yep. yeah, he played 11 minutes last night. He looks solid on the defensive slash rebounding portion of the game, but offensively he looks a little lost, but we're virtually getting zero production out of um, Joe Bamisil. I think that's okay. Um, I'm not really worried about him. Um, yeah. We thought he might be, you know, my, my preseason prediction was he finishes in the top three of freshman of the year in the conference. That's clearly not going to happen. Right. Um, 
there's just other guys in front of him and he's just not ready for the speed of the game. And I, I texted Sam Jesse from Sons of Saturday last night and I said, Oh, look, all of our freshmen on the court. But that being said, they looked small. So they didn't look like physically ready for that level of basketball. Um, and that's okay. But yeah, as you talked about, I don't really know what lineup changes need to be made. Um, a lot of it really does just depend on guys coming back to what they are as players, you know, getting back to, you know, that average, like Naheem Aline, he's not going to shoot this poorly all year. At least you hope not. Um, Tyrese Radford, same thing. That kind of thing is where a lot of that, you know, gap will be made up as guys playing up to their level, um, as well as, you know, getting Couture back will help, things of that nature. Um, I'm a little disappointed in Cartier Jada so far. Me too. Uh, I, I thought he would provide a lot more than he has. Um, I don't know that he's being deployed in the way that maybe he thought when he came here or the way that he was at Kansas State. Um, I think we, if we're going to be the team we think we can be, uh, you know, that fringe NCAA tournament kind of team, uh, we're going to need a little bit more out of Cartier Jada. Um, yep. Plain and simple. He's an experienced guy who can score the ball, plays good defense, brings good energy, very athletic. We're going to need more out of him if this team's going to take that step. Uh, in terms of the starting lineup, I don't really know I would change the actual lineup too much as much as I would change the way guys are rotated in after that. Um, we've done a lot of wholesale changing, uh, whether it be five guys in or three. I mean, you know, that kind of those kind of rotations. I would love to see, like you talked about, Cone in with BD or, um, you know, if, if it's not Naheem's night, it's not Naheem's night, put jada in there just like weird stuff like that because as far as i'm concerned mutz is you know he's he's your only true i guess four um he's we've seen the aluma pencil lineup a couple times doesn't seem to be very dynamic i do love cordell pencil's game i do um, too uh, he quietly played 21 minutes last night and you know had five rebounds he, he looked solid out there he looked like he belonged i mean he's a pretty stout dude uh, you can tell he's been around college basketball for a while. He, he doesn't look scared of anybody out there. So it was nice to see him get in and kind of bang down low with Penn State's big guy. But, yeah, the lineup has questions. Uh, I think our biggest question right now is defensively. And then how are we going to unlock this offense that Mike Young, um, you know, kind of is known for across college basketball? So we've got a lot of questions to answer in the next week between now and Clemson, who just beat Maryland by 17. Um, Clemson's a legit team. I guess we can kind of, you know, cycle into that game now but yeah Clemson's legit we got a lot to figure out between now and then yeah Clemson looked really good um tonight against Maryland this was a game that you and I had our eyes on because we were <laughs> we've been trying to figure out just how good Clemson is they had a couple of big early season wins and now they're playing a very good team in Maryland tonight and you texted me saying that Clemson is PSUing in reference to Penn State, which I think was pretty accurate. Maryland came out and just couldn't shoot the ball very well early, and Clemson ran them off the floor in the first half. They led 38 to 15 at the break. And, and I think the biggest challenge for Virginia Tech going into this game next week against Clemson, who has been very, very good under Brad Brownell here, it's actually quick side note. Brad Brownell is a guy who was kind of on the hot seat a couple of years ago. I don't think he's on the hot seat anymore, Ed. Um, he's hanging in there. Yeah, he's done a really good job. I mean, he's, he's recruited well. He's developed players well. Uh, Amir Sims is a baller. Yeah, um, problem. They, you know, he, everything he's done, you know, they continue to get better. and They roll out a lot of guys. I and mean, They played a lot of dudes tonight. 
and just beat the doors off of Maryland. Maryland pushed back a little bit in the second half. And obviously this is not the same Maryland team it was last year where, you know, they were co-Big Ten champs. Um, you know, they lost guys like Anthony Cowan and um, Jalen Smith at the draft. But Maryland still got a lot of talent on that roster, and Clemson kind of had their way with them in the first half and continued in the second half. Um, so Tech's going to have issues. Um, and, yeah, I, I did. I My cousin called me in the middle of the Tech game last night. He's like, that ESPN score can't be right. He's a big Maryland fan. He was talking a little trash about Tech, and I was able to do the same thing today. I called him at halftime. He's like, yeah, I know, I know. Um, so, yeah, Clemson's legit. They, I, I think they'll be easily a top 20 team come Tuesday when this game happens. Um, they have a, they present a lot of issues that I don't know that Tech has the answers for, mainly Amir Sims. Uh, we yeah. don't have any of his size and athletic ability um, to match that defensively. I think Aluma's too slow to guard him, and I don't know that Mutz is big enough to guard him. So that's going to be interesting to see how Virginia Tech and Mike Young decides to try to slow him down. Um, one way to slow him down was going to be Brad Brownell himself because Clemson rolls out a lot of guys, and Sims isn't playing crazy high minutes. Um, they talked about that a lot on the broadcast tonight, and it's very interesting to look into a little bit. He really isn't playing crazy high minutes this year. Um, that being said, he's still averaging 12 points a game, and that includes a game where he had – I believe they said zero um, tonight against Maryland, who has some dudes who are a lot bigger and Maryland's a lot bigger and a lot more athletic than Virginia Tech is. Uh, Amir Sims kind of bullied them. Uh, he had 16 points and seven rebounds pretty easily. Uh, so he's a solid player that we're going to have a hard time stopping. Um, but then across the board, they just have really good basketball players. They play really, really good defense. Uh, I'm super concerned about that because, you know, they're going to watch film with Penn State and VMI. And they're probably going to pick up, you know, at least at half quarter, maybe three quarter court pressure against Beatty and the guards for the Hokies. So I'm a little worried about Clemson's athletic ability, uh, their length, their size, their physicality. But that's kind of always been the brand that Brad Brownell plays, um, even back, you know, uh, in the J-Rob, Chris Clark, Nikhil era. Uh, we would go down there and Clemson would always look bigger and more athletic than Virginia Tech. And we would still, you know, find a way to handle it just fine. Um, hopefully our guards are up for the task this week because um, it's going to be a different style of team than we've seen so far. Uh, more Actually, you know, very similar to Penn State in their length and ability to shoot and their size. Uh, so I, it's going to be a tough one. And Clemson, don't sleep on Clemson. They're good on the turf and they're good on the hardwood now. So we got a lot to worry about in the next, you know, six days. I'm a little bit concerned defensively. Um, I'm more concerned offensively, mostly because I feel like right now with the way that Tech's offense is playing, any sort of disruption from a defensive pressure standpoint seems to be seeping in and totally throwing the rhythm off of the offense, which is obviously the point of you know, three-quarter court pressure, full-court pressure, what have you, or even extending that half-court pressure, which we saw a lot. In particular, in particular, in the VMI game, um, I'm concerned about that. As you know, if I'm a Virginia Tech fan looking at this, I'm, I'm saying, look, this this offense hasn't produced to the point where they're even making open shots right now. So now, against another really strong defensive team, how am I going to sit here and be confident in the offensive effort? And I don't want to put too much into one game or even two games because, like you mentioned, there it's a weird schedule right now. It's a week in between games, that sort of thing, but there are some characteristics of each game they're carrying over as themes that should have you a bit concerned as a Virginia tech fan. 
the turnovers being one, the free throw shooting being another, and then the lack of consistent defense for the Hokies being kind of the third thing that's really stood out to me over the last few games. Now, I get it, right? I said after the Villanova game, I said after the South Florida game, I said this this is a tournament team, right? I, I said that on this podcast, and it was early, and it's three games. It was three games in at the time. I still feel that way. I feel like Tech does enough things well where – you know, the shooting, at least the open threes from Naheem Aline and the open shots from Tyrese Radford, those are going to start falling. But there's some elements to the team right now and some themes that we're seeing that need to be improved upon for Virginia Tech to be consistently competitive as we get into conference play. And Clemson, this Clemson game next week is going to be a big indicator to me whether or not Tech will be consistent enough over the course of the season to stack up the wins that we expect them to stack up to be that fringe tournament team. Tech was never the 15th best team in the country as they were ranked going into the Penn State game. That was absurd. You and I thought 16 was high. 15 is, 15 was a bit more ridiculous. And now Tech comes plummeting back to earth with a game that they trailed by anywhere between 25 and 30 for most of the game. Um, Tech now will be unranked in all likelihood going into this Clemson game. Clemson will be ranked. If Tech wins this game against Clemson, I think they'll be fringe top 25 again, right? So Tech is right where they should be. I think they're between 25 and 40 somewhere. It's really early. But there are some things that need to be ironed out. And Clemson's defensive pressure is the one thing I'm going to be watching and how Tech handles that with their guards. Because what I thought was the strength of this team, right, BD, Jada, Jalen Cohn, hasn't really come to be here early with Jada's play being uneven, BD continuing to be a bit uneven offensively, and Jalen Cohn really just not even playing until two games ago against VMI. It's just the guard play needs to be a bit more consistent, I think, for me to feel better about the the long-term prospects of the team and what's going to be as we get into tougher competition in ACC play. Yeah, I completely agree. The guard play has been the, the biggest issue um, in the two games, you know, the one loss and the one game we struggled the guards just haven't been, you know, what they need to be. And, you know, Clemson turned Maryland over 15 times tonight. Um, you know, Virginia Tech, we thought we had a lot last night. We only had 14. So uh, nine of which came in the first half. The second half of the Penn State-Virginia Tech game, Virginia Tech played a lot better. You could tell they calmed down a little bit. The adjustments were made. They played a lot better. They lost the second half by one point. You'll live with that. Um Clemson, though, tonight against Maryland, I mean, they they had, I think, four guys in double figures. Uh, they actually had one guy in their starting rotation who didn't score. So that can, that can I guess that's not just a Virginia Tech uh, issue. But Maryland, Maryland turned the ball over 15 times. Um, Clemson, Clemson only turned the ball over nine times. Anytime you're under 10 turnovers, one, it doesn't happen very often, and two, you're probably going to win the game. Um, Mike Young has always talked about how important the ball is and turning the ball over. And we've struggled with that so far this year. And I think it's a combination of a few things. Um, I do think BD will figure it out. Um, I, I would love to see him be a little bit more aggressive and go into the basket. And I get it. Like, it's not really his game, but you've got to be able to, when you do break that trap or when you do, you know, beat your man, be a threat um, other than a mid-range step back kind of deal that he's been you know he's actually shot the ball pretty well with so far this year yeah, so yeah the guard play and then um you know defensively we we look pretty bad slow in rotation last night against Penn State um and Clemson's got some guys who can beat you from the three-point line too so 
we're gonna have to definitely definitely hone in on that uh clemson shot 45 percent from three tonight against maryland i don't know that that's a sustainable number for them either um you know penn state shot i believe in the 50s against us yes 52 percent from three yep. so you can't give up 52 percent of threes teams won't always hit that either um but we were really slow in rotation defensively and i had a really hard time getting into our offense you know and our offense at our best so far this year has been through Keve Aluma. Um, Mike Young talked about that last night in the post game, getting the ball to Keve inside, um, either letting him go to work, kick it back out, uh, getting Hunter Couture back will be really, really helpful uh, because he actually has shot the ball pretty well so far this year. Um, I, he wouldn't have, you know, helped by 20 last night, but he would have helped a little bit. Um, but yeah, Clemson, Clemson's legit. Virginia Tech has somewhat fallen back down to earth. I, I think they're very easily can pick themselves back up. Um, but with a week off, that can either be a blessing or a curse. Um, you know, you've got time to fix all the problems that you have identified in the last two games, but you also don't really have time to put it in action and see if those problems are fixed. So uh, this next week will be a learning experience probably for the coaching staff and the players to fix these issues that they've had so far. Um, but I think that they can, you know, step on the floor with Clemson and play a really good game. Um, especially if the guards are able to just kind of slow down a little bit, just in their own mind, slow down a little bit. Um, it's something you see, you know, as guys age and get better and older and college basketball, especially like by Justin Robinson's senior year, the game looked slow. It looked easy. He was in control. And you would expect like that from a guy like BD to be a, you know, a similar case, and especially Cardia Jada who turns the ball over at a high rate BD does. Um, you would think that those guys would look more in control and I think they will as the season progresses. They play more games, that kind of thing, um, because there is a lot of learning to be done, you know, from the coaching and the players uh, on this very, very new, young um, collection of guys for Virginia Tech. Playing a game every five or six days, like you mentioned off the top, is not very ideal. And the thing that Virginia Tech now has to deal with is the fact that Clemson not only played a game more recently than you did, right, a one-night a one difference playing on Wednesday versus Tuesday, but now Clemson also gets to play – a decent SEC school in Alabama on Saturday. So now you get another game in between, uh, you know, playing Virginia Tech and, and playing Maryland. It's like, God, like Clemson's got the benefit of the doubt here with a schedule too, and another game to get in a rhythm before they play the Hokies next Tuesday. Uh, the one thing you mentioned about Beattie, uh shooting the ball a bit better, that's important because he does look like he's more confident in his jump shot. The problem is that he's not taking that many of them. He needs to be a bit more aggressive, whether it's getting to the basket. And a lot of people are going to be screaming, no, we don't want him to shoot. But seriously, like he's looked more confident shooting the ball this year. Last year, it was like, oh, my God, I'm going to hesitate. Do I really want to take the shot? I don't think it's going in. He seems like he's more confident shooting the ball when he has been open and he's been taking the open shot. The problem is that he's still passing up too many of those opportunities. and It doesn't really feel like he has full confidence there yet, even though he has shot it more confidently and he's looked better when he's been decisive it's that decisiveness factor with him that's kind of sticking with me whether it's to take that pull-up jump shot which he shot a very high clip or taking it to the basket like you mentioned which isn't necessarily his game but when he does it he's pretty good at it so I'd like to see more of that from him if we're not going to get it from him we got to get it from Jada we got to get it from Jalen Cohn Jalen Cohn's never failed to be aggressive going to the hoop but he's so small that you worry about him trying to go in and make crazy layups and stuff like that he went in a couple times last night and get, got blocked, which you expect out of a guy who's like 5'9", 5'10". But if you're not getting it out of BD, you're not getting it out of Jada, 
Jalen Cohn's going to take it upon himself to do that. Regardless, you've got to get downhill going to the basket, especially if you're not getting those paint touches with Aluma, which we really didn't see a whole lot in this game against Penn State. So there's got to be some tweaks not only to the lineups, but I think offensively and how they play too. Yeah, and a lot of, you know, this team's going to go as far as the wing perimeter three-point shooting is going to go. Um, we saw it last year when they were at their best. They were shooting. They were knocking down shots. Naheem Ali and Hunter Couture. Those are the two guys that, in my mind, I'm the most not concerned with but expecting more from. Um, they're both very capable players on both ends of the floor. Hunter Couture plays pretty solid defense. Naheem Ali plays good on-ball defense. Um, the more offensive production, particularly from the three-point line, we get out of those two, the more the floor is just going to open up for – Jada to get to the rim, Mutz on the inside, Keve Aluma, Tyrese Radford in particular to get to the rim, who's just so much fun to watch when he drives the ball. So um, the more the, we need to shoot the ball better. I mean, we shot terribly against VMI. We shot okay against Penn State. Um, so, yeah, I, there's a lot that uh, – there's not really even a lot because if you break down the box score from last night, Penn State played an amazing game. I don't want to take anything away from them. Definitely not. They, they shot over 50% from the floor and from three. They had nine turnovers or like there's nothing you can do sometimes. Um, now there were things we could do. That's why it's a little frustrating. And there are things that we're going to need to correct when we play Clemson because yeah, you talked about it a little bit with Alabama, but they've already played Mississippi state and Purdue and now Maryland and then Alabama and then Virginia tech, they're playing all power five teams. Um, Virginia tech being the first power five team in their conference, they're playing a hard schedule. So credit to Brad Brownell for that. They're playing a hard schedule and they're winning. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they look again on against Alabama on Saturday. I'll probably tune into that one and, you know, do a little bit more scouting. But Clemson's legit. They play a lot of guys, very athletic. Um, senior leader in Amir Sims is an all-ACC caliber player. So a lot of adjusting to do offensively and defensively. Um, but I'm looking forward to Tuesday. And I think this team, we have not seen the, the best. And ho- hopefully we've now seen the worst. So – they're going to get better. I have no doubt that our original predictions about this team are probably more what they're going to end up being around. You know, they'll fall back to the mean. They were, I agree with you. They were never the 15th best team in the country. Right. Um, yeah. They just lost to a team last night that should have been ranked. Penn state should be ranked. Uh, if it weren't for an epic collapse against Seton hall, they would have been ranked last night. Right. And they're, they're about to play a team in Clemson. That's not ranked yet, but will be by game time. So um, these are two really hard games that, I don't know that fans would expect, you know, they're both kind of football schools, right? Penn state and Clemson, but they have really good basketball programs. Penn state would have been a tournament team last year. Um, Clemson's poised to be so far this year. It, it, the schedule, you know, after these two gets a little bit softer, but you'd like to see, you know, you got to see the Hokies come out with, first of all, better energy. Um, I thought we were getting pushed around and bullied a little bit, which was kind of surprising to see. Um, especially on the inside. I thought Kevin got bullied a little bit by surprise Mike Young too, by the way. Yeah. He talked about it a little bit. Um, they just, they didn't come out with very good energy and then that kind of sustained throughout. And by the time, you know, they did start playing better. The game was over, but uh, th- this is very fixable. This is by no means, you know, an indictment on this team and what they're going to be the rest of the way. I don't think that they're going to be that team the rest of the way. I think guys like Naheem Malina are going to play better ball. Hunter Couture is going to play better ball. Um, and it's going to get better as we go. But, yeah, last night was rough. Um, I'm really looking forward to these guys getting back on the floor next week but and, and more consistently because I do think the chemistry um, needs a little bit of work, especially on the defensive end. 
Yeah, one final thing before we wrap up. If you told me Clemson was the 15th best team in the country and not Virginia Tech, I wouldn't argue that based on who they've played in the non-conference. They only have one game remaining in the non-conference schedule against a school that is not like a power five or a group of five school, right? They're playing Moorhead State on the 22nd. Um, other than that, they have Alabama, Virginia Tech, and South Carolina. Two of those are on the road, of course, in Blacksburg and then in Columbia in back-to-back games. So South, like you mentioned, Clemson is playing a very tough schedule here in the non-conference and they're setting themselves up if they either run the table or go like seven and one in this stretch if they go like 500 conference play they're going to end up with like an eight or a nine seed in the tournament at worst um, this is a team that's playing really good basketball right now it's going to be a really good test uh, for tech next week and yeah we'll be back to recap that ed but do you have anything else before we wrap up no just to touch on what you just said about you know clemson they're playing a hard schedule in a year and they're playing a hard schedule early in the year in a year where those early in the year games matter more than ever. Um, I believe I heard Mark Turgeon, Maryland's coach talk about on the radio right before the season tipped off where the, I think the minimum barrier for entry for the NCAA tournament is 13 games played. Um, Penn State's playing a really good schedule in those first 13 games or not Penn State, sorry, Clemson is playing a really good schedule in those first 13 games. So if they can get through 13 and have the record that they currently have, uh, that's a pretty good tournament resume, barring any COVID issues for them later in the year. But no, that's about it. Virginia Tech has got a little bit of work on both ends of the floor, both very correctable issues, dealing with ball pressure and then playing better defense, um, not allowing as many open threes and, you know, rotations, all things that I think will get better with more time on the floor together. Um, I'm excited to see them play against a really, really good Clemson team next week. Um, but now I don't really have anything else to add. I think this team will continue to grow and get better. Um, I don't think, Last night is what we should get used to at all. Um, so everyone just take a deep breath, pay a little bit of attention to football this weekend, and then get back to the Hokies basketball team on Tuesday against Clemson. A huge early season test here against Clemson in conference play for the second year in a row. Hokies open their conference schedule against Clemson uh, next Tuesday night. So we'll be tuning into that. Ed, where can they find your stuff? Yeah, E underscore Williams 24 on Twitter and then SonsOfSaturday.com. Go check out everybody over there. Um, not just my stuff. Hit up everybody's stuff. We got a, if you're a gambling guy, Locks of Saturday podcast comes out. Actually going to record that right after this. So um, everyone enjoy their last week of football and um, go Hokies. Find me at Mike McDaniel VT, SonsOfSaturday.com. Check all that out. I'm pretty much all over the internet at this point. So wherever you find me. And Twitter Just, battles. Yeah, Twitter battling. Whatever. I'm I'm out there somewhere. Uh, but until next time, uh, good luck to the Hokies against Clemson, of course. Make sure to tune in. We'll be back next week to recap that game and preview what's to come. But until then, go Hokies. Go Hokies.